0: Was a great week. We had some uh, good news. We had a couple of baptisms. Uh, we had Tim White, he got baptized last Sunday. There he is. Pretty good. Very excited about that. Uh, and then also we had Dee Ferris, uh, she got baptized um, as well last Monday. very exciting, you know, when uh, anybody's added to the kingdom of God. Amen. All right, I wanted to start you guys off here with a question. You guys ever think about just how much time you spend in the grocery store? Maybe for some of us husbands, not as much as we used to before we were married. Personally, I, don't, I actually enjoy grocery shopping because I get to choose what I'm going to eat. Instead of coming home and being like, I don't like that. It's like, no, I'm going to choose it now. <laughs> I enjoy grocery shopping. I don't mind it. But you think about just how much time we spend at the store, right? Perhaps it's a once a week thing. I don't know for you. Maybe it's whenever the pantry gets, uh, gets low. I don't know. But we do. We end up spending quite a bit of time there. I love going to the grocery store because it's a slice of life, right? It's like everybody, everybody has to go to the grocery store. You see all kinds of people at the grocery store. Walmart. Slice of life right there. The whole spectrum. Right, uh, Kelly and I actually, when we were young, marrieds, we would go because I would work till about 11, 11.30 at night. And uh, I'd come home and we would go grocery shopping until like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning at Walmart. You want to talk about a slice of life right there. <laughs> Special individuals at 2 a.m. roaming the halls of Walmart. And I was one of them. Um, it says a lot, right? Uh, but I actually worked at a grocery store from the age of 15 till 22. Yeah, it was my, it was my first job, I worked at Foodline, not really promoting Foodline over any other grocery store, just want to say that now, <laughs> equal, equal opportunity for all grocery stores. Um, but uh, I started there as a, um, as a young teen, you know, bagging groceries, getting carts, mopping the floors, cleaning the bathrooms. Teens, I mean, it taught me a lot about hard work and that it's not easy and people don't care about you. <laughs> your mom thinks you're great, your boss is like, clean the toilet. <laughs> but I uh, ended up working my way up, up to a manager position. And uh, you know, it was great. It wasn't, I mean, it was a job, right? Amen, for the jobs. But I saw a lot of crazy stuff at working at the grocery store. A lot of crazy stuff. Like I said, it's a slice of life, right? And Imagine working there for seven years. You're going to see a lot of life uh, on a regular basis. But the title of my lesson today is Lessons from the Grocery Isle. <laughs> so I really felt like the passage that we're going to be looking at here in um, Ephesians 6 lines up nicely with the lessons that I gained from the grocery aisle. Perhaps as we go through this, you... Also, will relate to the grocery aisle lessons with me. Amen. So let's turn on over to Ephesians chapter six. You know, Paul, at this point in time, is going to be continuing to give us some extremely practical advice. For how we are to live as Christians. How we are to conduct ourselves. You know, we're going to skip around a bit. I know uh, last week we didn't do the passage before this. Uh, The Reese's actually are going to bring this to us in a couple of weeks uh, on marriage. Uh, Look forward to that. The both of them together are going to be preaching to us. So it's going to be awesome talking about the roles of marriage and uh, how that should go. So I won't jump into that. I won't spoil that for them or for you. But uh, we're going to start up here in verse 1. For Paul is going to continue to give instructions for Christian households. And in uh, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Why? For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So that it may, so that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy long life on earth. We'll stop right there. You are to notice... Uh, Product positioning in the supermarket is cruel when it comes to children. It's like they're setting you up for failure. As you walk in the grocery aisle to check out, right? Got all the candy and now they got the LED lights shining down on them so they're glowing in their brightly colored wrappers. And you know your kids are gonna ask, right? And they're gonna ask, can I have that, can I have that, can I have that, can I have that? It's almost as if they're setting you up, right? And maybe this has happened to you. Maybe it hasn't. I'm going to show a clip here. This is a, of a commercial. And uh, all right, we'll just auto let's be for a <laughs> second. Hey, man, let that stop right there, okay? As parents, I'm sure some of us can relate to this, right? I'm sure it's all of us who have been children at one point in time can relate to that as well. And let me say this, I've learned the incredibly dangerous lesson that it comes around full circle. Whatever you've done as a child, your children will do to you worse, I'm reminded of this not only by my own children, but my mother. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in that moment, you feel like such a failure, don't you? Like your kid is just going berserk. And you're just like, ah, ah, stop. No, don't do that. And they're just like, probably, hopefully not to that um, extreme of a level. You know, but what Paul writes is so clear. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Even if they give you one of those faces, right? All those are tantrum faces. For those of you that don't have kids, you look at it and say, uh. Parents, we go, yep, I know what you want. Each, each one of those faces, and you're not going to get it. It's not a, uh, face. That's a, mm, no. No, but this is the go-to passage. For all of us as parents, and I'm sure uh, Kingdom Kids, uh, teens that have been raised up through, have been risen up through the, uh, through the church. You guys have probably heard this passage many, many times. Yeah. Family devotionals, perhaps it's on your refrigerator. Boom, right there with glitter and stickers and everything. <laughs> right there. Obey your parents. But it could not be more clear. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. You know, in our society, it's a given that children should obey their parents. That's not really up for debate. It's not like this passage sheds any light on that and I'm like, oh, wow, that's a that is a great idea there, Paul. Children should obey their parents. I like that. No, but here what Paul's trying to tell us is that we've got to make sure our kids know why they're obeying. They've got to have the idea that children. The idea is for children to obey because of their relation to Christ. It's not that they want to obey out of fear, out of punishment. But they obey because of Jesus. And as a parent, that's not an easy task to teach your child. That's an incredibly difficult task. It's something that Kelly and I are working on currently and continue to work on. We had the walkers over a couple weeks ago. And they schooled us in this. I thought, I feel kind of like, yeah, you know, my kid's being a little difficult. Just tell me what kind of tech, um, you know, new punishment should I roll out. Just give me some insight. Perhaps you've heard of some good ones over the years. And just give them to me. And I'll start putting them into action. And uh, both my boys will start obeying like that. And then Clayton was like, you've got to start teaching them the why. Why should they obey? You've got to teach them now for later in life. You know, it's, as a congregation, we are learning this too. Of why we obey. About why we obey the Lord. We have to learn to teach our children now at the young age. So later on, it's not as difficult for them as it is for many of us right now to get our heads wrapped around why we obey. You know, there is there's no age limit on being a child. There is none. Teens, no age limit. You got it. You have to obey because it says it right here in the scripture. You have to obey for it is right. Right. You know, there is no age limit on being a child, but Paul goes beyond obedience and talks about honor. You know, obedience does look different depending on the age, doesn't it? Five-year-old, you tell a five-year-old not to touch an outlet, he might go for it. You know, and you're like, that's punishment enough. 110 (laughs) volts," Right? (laughs) You might understand quickly. You know, I mean, of course, obviously, you wouldn't let your child do that, right? Um... (laughs) you know as a toddler you tell them no and you pull them away you know if your preteen or your teen goes for the outlet you're like I told you so many times don't do it and they're probably not going to do it probably not going to do it the five year old is probably going to go back and go back and you have to teach them a couple times obedient looks different from different age you know even as um, adults it starts to look different for us but honor stays the same Can we look at our parents and honestly say we honor them even today? For a lot of us, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of scars. But do we honor our parents today? There is no qualifier here that Paul lists out. You know, honor has nothing to do with how much integrity your parent holds in, in your eyes at this moment. Nothing to do with this. It's a command from God. In fact, it's quoted five times throughout the scriptures. But do we honor our parents when I think of honoring, I, I, I think of them being placed up high. Is that how your parents feel around you? I think uh, you know, one of the things that is coming around the corner for uh, a lot of us as we see our grandparents or even our parents aging is, what, how do we honor them as they get older? You know, my mom used to ask me, hey, are you going to let me stay with you when I get old? And i say, nope, putting you in the home. I would tell her that. Uh, jokingly, of course, with a smile. We have a good relationship. She's sitting right there. All right. But my mom has actually shown me an incredible example of what it is to honor your parents, even in their age. My grandparents and uh, their relationship with my mom has been uh, complicated. Let's just call it that. It hasn't been the best relationship But I've watched my mom honor her parents driving out to Suffolk on a weekly basis to make sure that they're taken care of, to make sure that their needs are taken care of. So they're honored no matter what they had done or said or treated her in the past. It's an idea of I want to honor because this is right. And there's a promise attached. You know, it's not that God's going to bless you. It's not like a magical cure that you're going to have a live a long life. And nay, but there's an idea of a covenant agreement between God and his people. Follow me and I will take care of you. Not with rewards or what I'm going to bless you with, but because you're listening to my protective laws. I have set these guidelines up for you for a reason. The commands are there for a reason. It's not an option. Even if adults, we don't see the wisdom behind them. But honoring our parents, it gives them even the opportunity to see Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, Kelly's grandmother was, uh, was really cool. A couple years ago, she ended up getting baptized. And Kelly's father has actually been a disciple since he was like 17, 18 years old. And just over the years of just honoring him, um, showing her, this is the way I live because of Christ. She eventually just was like, hey, I see it. I get it. I got to see what is going on in your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, parents, continuing on here, you know, one of the, one of the best things working at the grocery store was a little um, intercom. <laughs> totally honest with you. Intercom. <laughs> my, one of my first days working at the grocery store, I was like, I'm, not, I'm gonna do the Clayton. I won't touch it. Clayton gets mad when I touch the microphone. All right, because <laughs> you're not supposed to touch this one. It's a special one. You know, you grab that and you're just like, Sale in aisle four, clean up in aisle two. Coolest thing ever. I was like, this is the best. I have control of everybody in this store and what they listen to. I, in this moment, am king. At least in my mind. But you know, one of the most embarrassing moments you can have as a parent is this action. There's a four-year-old in the front of the store. If you're his mother or father, please come to the front as soon as possible. He's crying hysterically. I am not his parent. (laughs) Right, and I used to have to do that. Not like, say those things, but I would have to page parents because there'd be wandering kids, right? It's embarrassing. And as a parent, you get up there and you see your child's face. Not that it's happened to me, but you see your child's face, and it's a look of terror. And in bed, and just like, what have you done? <laughs> and for a lot of us, we get to that point as parents where we ask ourselves, come to the big realization. Do I know what I'm doing as a parent? Some days I feel like I do in the morning, but by the, by the evening, not so much. Let's continue on in verse 4. Paul's going to address directly. Parenting, here we, here we go. In verse 4 it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. i will stop right there. Now, very little is actually written to parents in, in, in the New Testament. But this passage right here is so packed. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, with the time that's already passed, the time that we have left, I am only going to touch the surface of this. Uh, you know, we actually as a church offer great classes on uh, GD, GDP, good enough parenting, something in, don't, I think that's right, acronym, anyways. Um, but we offer a lot, there's a lot more information on this passage, so like I said, I'm just going to touch the surface, alright? But here Paul addresses the father, but honestly this could be addressed to parents in general. Yeah. Yeah. The principal... And the biblical truth is the same. You know, parents back then, as Paul was writing this, had free reign to pretty much do whatever they thought best. You could treat and discipline as you saw fit. You could even sell your kids into slavery. You could even put your kids to death if you felt like that was necessary. Parents, fathers had an incredible amount of power. There was no authority higher than them in their home. But truthfully, not that different. In our home today, there is no authority greater than you as a parent in your home. No one is there to challenge or to question your choices or your techniques and how you parent or how you treat or how you love or how you discipline your child. No one is there. You are the highest authority. You know, Paul gives us this great command about do not exasperate your children, which really just means do not frustrate them by either being unnecessarily harsh, exerting your power and authority and will over them. In a way, it's kind of like us throwing our own tantrum, just like the child. You're not listening to me, so I'm going to get louder. You're not listening still, I'm going to get angrier. I'm going to throw a tantrum until you do what I want. The exact same things kids do in the grocery aisle, isn't it? there is no place for anger. No place for anger when it comes to parenting. I think it's, it's not hard to see the damaging um, long-term effects that anger has on a child. It's not like this is a mind-blowing concept for any of us in this room. Children have low self-esteem, insecurities, fear, and they learn that anger is a way to communicate. But bigger Spiritually, this is going to shape how they see parenting, but also how they see God. That's right. now, uh, I'll be honest with you here. This is something that I struggle with on occasion, especially with my children. This is, I'll just tell you the story here. You know, it was a couple weeks ago. It was one of those days that Maddox, my oldest son, uh, it just was not listening to anything. I, I send him up to his room, still throwing a tantrum up in his room, still yelling and screaming for a while. I go up there, I try talking to him, won't listen, won't obey. You know, it just, I mean, it's like, you know, stacking and stacking and stacking. I can just feel it welling up inside me, just the frustration. and just like, why won't you just listen to me in this moment? I don't know how or why, but somehow I had his little digital clock in my hand. I don't know why I had it in my hand. Maybe he was playing with it. I took it away. I can't remember. That's kind of a bad sign when you can't remember stuff, right? Uh, When you're that frustrated and that angry. And I just remember looking at him and just, in a split second, just threw it to the ground. And the clock breaks. And to see his face in that moment. To see the look of terror. Just like, stops. And stares at me. Silence. You know, in that moment, I lost. Maddox won't remember the training. He won't remember the discipline. He's going to remember that daddy was angry. Yeah. Daddy broke the clock. Daddy can't control himself. That's not... You amen, know, I those are rare occasions. But they're still there. Yeah. I had to apologize to him. Joe, this is not the way that I should treat you. This is not the way that daddy should act or react, no matter what. You know, as parents, we can frustrate our children so easily with our, with our anger. You know, another way we can frustrate them is through our expectations. You know, expectations, whether they're unreasonable. Sometimes we do have to understand they are children. I said before, obedience for a teen is different than obedience for a five-year-old. Yeah. Sometimes we have to look at our expectations about the rules of the house and say, is this even possible or are we frustrating them by keeping the bar so high? I'm not saying lower it to an ungodly standard. But do they have reasonable expectations in your home? Second, do, what about unspoken expectations? Well, They don't even know the, the, the rules of the house, but yet they get in trouble and they're like on, on edge waiting for something. Waiting for you to discipline. And thirdly, shifting. Or some days they get in trouble for touching the TV. And other days they don't. Some days they get in trouble for disobedience. Other days it's like free reign. For a child, they'll begin to frustrate them. You know, for our children, we shouldn't ignore them or tolerate them. But we're instructed... To train them up in the Lord. We gotta show our children what it is to be a Christian and who God is through us. And that's through deliberate training. Thought through training. To establish the baseline of you do this because of God. We obey because of God. I'm gonna raise you up and train you because of God. Teaching them how to pray, how to how how to love the scriptures. I have a deep relationship with God, but how to love and pursue righteousness. Yeah. And with our training, it's a big deal now, but even bigger deal later. Yeah. Eternity is, is brought into that yeah. um, equation of how you parent your children. Now, Let's, uh, let's continue on here. In verse 5. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor with their eyes, uh, when their eye is on you, but as a slave of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve them wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you. For whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, before we really dive into this, slavery then was different than our idea of slavery now. I'm not saying it makes it right. This is very, very different. This is extremely commonplace. Slaves pretty much did all the work. You you either became a slave through birth, your parent possibly selling you into slavery. Maybe you were a captive of war. Perhaps you uh, voluntarily went into slavery to pay your own debts. As we see in Matthew um, 18. You know, in... I'm sure, with no doubt, that some slaves were treated unfairly and harshly. But for the most part, they were treated as a part of the family. You know, most gained freedom by age 30. This wasn't just a Roman, Greco-Roman type of view. This is also what we see happening in Jewish culture as well. So nothing new here. (laughs) But still, slaves had no rights. No rights as, as a slave. As Paul is um, addressing them here. And. You know. We can't. Nobody in this room personally. And speaking personally can relate to this situation. I think we can relate to. When it comes to some good principles here. About how we are to interact with our bosses. Right? <laughs> I was gonna put like a mean boss face on there, and I'm like, that might be kinda wrong. I don't want to call out like whoever that person is. But that, world's best boss, right? Michael Scott. Um, This idea of serving wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord. Serving even when your boss isn't watching you. Let's. Can we can we all be honest with each other right right now? Is that okay? Let's do a show of hands. Who doesn't like their boss currently? I'm not saying hate them. Who doesn't, who's not very fond of them? Show of hands. My hand's not going (laughs) there. Okay, okay. All right, two hands right here. Amen. It happens. All of us have had a boss like that in the past, right? I'm sure all of us have worked under some regime, you know, of a boss. Working at Food Light, I, 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 uh, I had this one boss that would sit in his office with all the monitors on and would watch us from the office and would page you up front, wouldn't even get up, would page you. Jeff, please come to the office. And you're like, oh, what did I do? And he would page you to the office. And he'd be like, I watched you on the monitor. There's like a minute there you sat down. I was like, my leg, it was my leg. I, I, I had been working nine hours straight. He's like, I saw you sit down. You're like, you're sitting down now. You're not even moving all day. Like, how is this right? <laughs> but honestly, we, we had to do this thing called facing at a grocery store. Anybody who's worked at a grocery store knows exactly the painful process of facing. Was It literally consumers that, you know, we move all the products forward to the shelf and make them look pretty for you every night, the whole store. And I hated doing that with a passion. Hated it. It's so just boring, menial work. And I would literally recite this scripture in my head. Like, I am not joking. Even to like a song. Like, just because I'm like, I am working for the Lord right now. That is it. That is my one and only motivation for doing this. I was like, I'm going to have the best dairy. That was my uh, dairy and frozen food. That's what I was in charge of. I'll ever. I was like, it's going to look beautiful every time you walk in. But how do we work? For man or for God? Good, a good question to ask yourself is do you work harder when your boss walks by, right? I remember when I got another job uh, uh, in um, advertising after I got out of, one of my coworkers who was training me actually said, hey, Carry papers around with you. I was like, "What?" Because we didn't work in our offices. If we were managers, so we had to go all around and work with people. He was like, "Carry papers with you." And every time you walk past his um, CEO's office, walk really fast. And I was like, "Why?" He's like, "It looks like you're busy every time." It works. Like, okay. And so he was training me. So you know, I listened. So I'd walk past, fast past. The office, I like, Man, Jeff is a hustler. He works really hard. I was like working hard. But we all know what what it's like when your boss comes by, right? And all of a sudden you're like typing furiously. You're like, I'm sending out so many emails, I got my dual, my dual screens, I got this and this going, I'm like going for it today. Right, but how do we work when our boss isn't watching us? It's gonna say a lot about who you're working for. Or do you slander or complain about your boss or supervisor when they're not there to your coworkers? Because you know they're doing it. It's not hard to jump into that conversation. Does your work stand out? Not because of your skills or talents, but because you're a disciple of Christ. You know, work is called work for a reason, right? Amen, if you have your dream job. I love it. I, like, I, I love my job. Yeah. Amen. amen thank, you. thank you. That was Clayton saying amen. He's like, good. I'm glad. So I have to do a little like review after this. And I was like, okay, amen. I love my job. Dream job. Here we go. But you know, all of us need to have an attitude is that I'm not working for my boss now. I'm working for my boss later. My reward is in heaven. God's watching me now. And that's who I'm working for. But I want to pause real quick here for a minute. I don't know if you guys caught caught it or flew underneath the radar for you or not. But there is a big point. Right here that even for me, it took me a while to to really grasp onto. I had to wrestle with this one for a while. There's something huge in this text that we may have missed. It's something that Paul doesn't say more than what he does say. He's not outraged by slavery. Let that sink in for a minute. That's a big deal for us here in the South. There is a, I mean, let's just be real. Slavery is a hot topic even today. The different, I mean, we're, we, we bring a lot to, the, lot to the table with that. It's personal. It's a raw subject. But Paul doesn't call for social justice. He doesn't call for the end of slavery. Or even for slaves to unite and demand for social change. In fact, he calls for them to serve wholeheartedly. Amen. To submit to their masters. To give more. How could Paul not address the obvious? Is he supporting slavery? Verse 8, I think says it all. God will reward each one of you for whatever they do. Whether slave or free. let me just say this now. I'm not supporting slavery. Paul's not supporting slavery. This church is not supporting slavery. One of the worst things you can do to another human being. But Paul did not get caught up in social concerns or personal rights, but was focused on what was more important, on what was to come. To look beyond the rights of a master, beyond the rights of a slave, a parent, or a child. He had his hope. And something else that was to come yeah. Like I said, Paul was not agreeing with slavery. but his focus and his aim was to finish the race, yeah. was making it to heaven. He was thinking of things forward, not just the here and now. He didn't want us to get caught up in how we were treated. What was right and wrong? Whether your work environment was ideal or not. He yeah. wants us to focus on our, our reward was in heaven. Yeah. And with all these commands that Paul lays out there, there's this idea of looking forward towards the future, towards a hope, towards a new recreated world. Children, the covenants. He talks about a covenant agreement, about looking forward, about why we, as parents, pass on the gospel. Fathers, to train the Lord, train their kids up in the Lord. So they could one day participate in the new recreated worlds. And slaves and masters that we serve the same master, not the one here on earth, but the one in heaven. Paul's hope was not in this world, but in the one to come. One of the biggest lessons I learned from the grocery aisle is the world is a messed up place. It's messed up. It's wrong. It's full of hurt. It's full of pain. And there's nothing I can do to change all of it. You know, and this hope that we have as Christians is not just a what if or a maybe or I hope it is. This is a rock solid hope that will happen, that there will be a recreation, that Christ will return and recreate and turn everything back to the way it should have been from day one. Amen. But where is our hope this morning? Is it in the world? Is it in social change, in policy, or perhaps in policymakers? You know, for Jesus. It's why he left. He came to the earth, lived and died. It didn't stick around because he knew this is not what it's about. Even while everybody around him was begging him, hey, change. Do you see what's happening to us as the Jews? We're being, we have these Romans that are suppressing us? Lead us, change it. She said, this is not what it's about. It's not about this world. Don't you get that? His hope was in heaven. This has become, this has become our hope. Has become such a massive force. that it forces us to look beyond the injustices. Right and wrong. That's gone around us. And focus on what is true. It was such a big deal to Paul that he was asking slaves. To work harder even if they were being abused. That is a massively powerful statement of how, where our heart should be and how we should view the world around us. But can that be said about us? Are our lives dictated by this hope, by this future glory, by something greater, by the return of our King? And as we look through the gospel, of John, we see in John four, you don't have to turn there. I'll just, I'm going to give you guys a couple quick ones here. And the woman at the well, Jesus doesn't promise happiness to her. He doesn't promise social change. He says, I have something that will, will quench your thirst forever. John chapter 5, and speaking to the Jewish leaders. He says, those who hear my word and believe will have what? Eternal life. John chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000, which must have been incredible. They come back and they want more food. He says, that's not what I'm about. I'm going to give you bread that doesn't spoil and fade. John chapter 6. God's will is that we have eternal life and be with him. That is God's desire for us. And in John chapter 11 and speaking about the death of Lazarus, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. If you believe and you will never die. John 14, as his disciples Realize that Jesus is gonna to go to the cross and die. He comforts them not by saying, Hey, it's gonna be alright, guys. Trust me, I got a plan for you. He says, No. He's telling them, I'm gonna go there and prepare a place for you. That's right. Don't worry about this. You focus on that. You focus on on the later. In John 17. That's not it. We'll go back to that one in a minute. Sorry. It says Jesus' prayer. Let's just, um, it says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus' prayer was not for us here and now, but for us to be able to be with him for eternity in heaven. That was his focus. That was his aim. This is the exact same reason why Paul was not an activist or, or a revolutionary. Because he knew that that would just offer false hope. I think, even as us, we can get so wrapped up and drawn into this fight for our rights. What is right? What is wrong? And tell ourselves, well, it's just not right to treat someone that way. As if that one social change or policy is going to change it, the rest of the world. It's still going to be messed up, it's not the solution. This world is broken. Romans 8 talks about how creation groans to be recreated. The solution is not new policy. Or those who make the policy, whether they're white, black, male, female, transgender or something else. It is that is not our hope. Got to be careful not to mix Christianity and social activism. That's not what Jesus did fought he fought against and in fact he fought against that and I think the challenge for us is an easy one it's to hold on to this hope to have the hope as our motivation for our life and to keep that hope in front of us let it shape what we do how we obey how we train our children how we act in our workplace and how we carry ourselves as disciples because we do have a greater hope. We have only one true hope that Christ will usher in. And if you're not a Christian, that hope does not apply, I'm sorry to say. But it is available Amen. to you. You know, close things out. There's a song that we sing quite often up here on the slides. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not our home. So we live for Jesus here and now. Waiting for that hope that is to come. Amen.